Good morning, and welcome to Danville FBC online again. But we are getting close to that not being the case. We are looking forward to being back together. Information on that will be coming soon. Uh, but just appreciate everybody's patience so far and just hanging in there with all this and still participating in church as best that we can. The greatest boxer ever. He was picked out at a young age by his mentor, by his coach, groomed him, taught him how to box, taught him how to fight, taught him what to do. He trained. He showed up. He learned the the jargon, the vernacular, the way to speak like a boxer. He learned how to think like a boxer. He learned what it takes to be a boxer. Countless training and training and training and training to be ready to be the greatest boxer ever. Everyone said that he was the greatest boxer ever. Everyone said that he was special. He was going to change things. That he was just unbelievable in his talent, his preparation, everything that he did. Unbelievable. Greatest boxer ever. His record, though, was zero and zero. He never fought a fight. Now, if I told you that was the greatest boxer ever, I think you'd probably have a problem with that. Because to be the greatest boxer ever, you have to actually fight. You actually have to get in the ring, throw some punches, take a few, win a fight. You have to be in the ring. You have to be in the arena. You have to be battling. You have to be fighting. You can't call yourself the greatest boxer ever if you've never boxed. If you've only showed up to practice, that doesn't count. That's great preparation, but to be the greatest ever, you've got to show up and box. We've been talking for a few weeks now about being a warrior. Today we're talking about join the fight. We'll be in James 2, 14 through 26. The last few weeks, we've talked about be a warrior. We've been in a series called Be a Warrior, and we've talked about that to be a warrior, you first have to surrender to God to be in God's army. You have to surrender to God to be in God's army first. That a warrior surrenders to God in their prayer life, praying for what God wants in our life, not on our pleasures and desires. That a warrior for God does not have a harshly critical tongue, but doesn't fear giving beneficial feedback. And last week, we, we talked about the Lord of hosts, the warrior God, the Lord of angel armies, the Lord of all things, the Lord of hosts, that Jesus Christ is a commander worth following. And finally, today... To end our series, we're going to talk about it's time to join the fight. And we're going to join James in chapter 2, verse 14. If you want to be there with me. It says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing and you say, Goodbye, have a good day, stay warm. Eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? 
Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and counted him as righteousness as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Woo, lots to chew on. First there in verse 14, James says, Can this kind of faith save anyone? If you merely say you believe something, but never do anything about that belief, never join the fight, who is going to come to faith because of your supposed faith? Who will be saved by your faith? And if that is the case, is that real faith? Do you actually believe what you say if you don't act on it? Or do you just intellectually agree with a creed? It makes as much common sense as this. Students in medical school, take a group of students in medical school, they attend class, they listen to all the lectures, they read the textbook, they even participate some in class. At the end of class, the professor says, all right, you're all doctors now, good job, I believe you're ready, you've been here every day, you've said that you understand what is going on, now go out there and diagnose life-threatening situations and enjoy. Would you be okay with that? Wouldn't you be lining up to go to the clinic of those doctors? No? How come? You mean you, mean you want a doctor that has passed a test? A doctor that has demonstrated learning? Demonstrated their understanding of complex medical jargon and data and actions? Interesting. Same kind of warrior that God wants. God wants warriors that fight, not talk about it. James goes on to give a straightforward example. He says, suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well, but you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Our faith should serve a purpose here on earth. It should leave a dent in suffering. It should make a difference. And if it doesn't, then what's the point? Or as James says, what good does that do? Useless, no purpose, no meaning. Being in that state is a dangerous place for a human being. It's a dangerous place for a human being to be. And James says again in verse 17, if your faith isn't active, it's useless, dead, of no purpose. Now, after verse 17, James jumps into a deep dive Some of the deepest theological and doctrinal truths are laid out in the next few verses. We could debate and debate and debate, and people do debate on what all these verses mean. He says, now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. There's a pun here. Faith works Because faith works. 
In the original language, that's what James is kind of saying, the way he words it. Faith works because faith works. Faith works because faith works, but faith also works because faith works. That's what James is saying. You say you have faith for you believe that there's one God, James goes on to say. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror. How foolish. How misguided. How darkened by knowledge, the lack thereof. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Now James here, when he says this about you believe there's one God, he's, he's repeating part of the Shema, which is a Jewish prayer that Jews say twice a day. Orthodox Jews still to this day say the Shema twice a day. And it's a reference back to Deuteronomy 6 where it says, Oh, hear Israel, the Lord is one. So he's saying something that the Jewish crowd would, remember he's writing to the Jewish church, the church around Jerusalem at the time that he writes this in AD 50. And he's giving them something that they would recognize. Like people that know this, that say this, they're religious people, they're, they're, they're practical people, they're, they're involved people within the religious community. And, and they would instantly get this, you believe that God is one. And then James goes into, he says, you say this, you believe this, well, well, great. Well, so are the demons. But then he goes one step further. Not only do they believe it intellectually, like you do when you just repeat it and recite it, but it affects the demons' emotions as well. What does it say? It says they shudder. James is saying even the demons go further than just saying they believe. It affects their emotions, at least. Faith apart from works is useless. Possessing a correct and good theology is unsatisfactory unless that theology possesses you. Knowing that God is one, that's great. God is one. But knowing that fact and that fact knowing you are two different things. It's, it's fine and good. Theology is great. Having the correct theology helps. But if all you have is a good and correct theology, an understanding of who God is, but that understanding does not have you, if you possess a theology, but that theology doesn't possess you, then what good is it? It's unsatisfactory. James goes on to give two well-known examples of works in action because of faith. He talks about Abraham, a Jew, a moral man, the friend of God, he says. And he talks about Rahab, a Gentile, a non-Jew, a harlot, or a prostitute. And she belonged to the enemies of God that Joshua and the Israelites were coming to fight in Jericho. What did they have in common? Such two contrasting examples of faith. What did they have in common? They both had a saving faith in God. Not just an intellectual faith. Not just an intellectual and emotional faith, but a saving faith, a faith that goes on to impact the will of the person, a true faith, a saving faith. Abraham didn't save himself by his actions, by obeying. He demonstrated the faith that had already justified him. The offering of Isaac, Abraham's test, was in Genesis 22. And then James references that Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's in Genesis 15. He was counted as righteous in Genesis 15. But his test comes in Genesis 22. He's already been justified by God. He's already been cleared, made right by God because of his faith. But that true faith came out in action several chapters later. 
Faith first. Faith and faith alone is what saves. But this faith cannot and will not be separated from works. Faith alone saves, but that faith, saving faith, real faith, cannot and will not be separated from works. God justifies us by faith at the moment of salvation. But sanctification is that justification demonstrated. Justification, being made right with God, made whole, stamped approved by God. It happens in an instant at the moment of faith. Sanctification is a lifetime of demonstrating that justification by works. The two are inseparable. Abraham was not saved by faith plus works. He was saved by a faith that works. Abraham was not saved by a faith plus works. He was saved by a faith that works. Faith that has no works does not work. Faith that has no works does not work. You see, faith isn't believing in spite of evidence. It's believing in spite of consequence. That's what faith is. It's not that you just blindly turn your eyes away from things that may contradict what you believe. What you, what you think about something may be wrong. You may have it incorrect. But faith is believing, which is believing in action, in spite of what may happen. It doesn't mean be foolish or be dumb or be reckless. It means you don't care what man's consequences are for doing what God tells you to do. To join God's fight, you're going to have man-made worldly consequences. It will happen. It is an inevitability. But faith is doing it anyway in spite of what those consequences may be. Because you fear no man. You fear God. Faith is the fear of the correct consequence. It's fear of the right object for the right reason. That's what saving faith is. Faith is not fearing man and what he says will happen. It's fearing God and what he says will happen. Rahab, risking her life. The authorities of Jericho would kill her for helping Joshua's spies. But she didn't fear that. She feared disobeying God. She then goes on to be listed in the genealogy of Jesus. That's how much God will use and bless saving faith. Verse 26, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Faith and works are co-operators. Co-operators. They're synergistic, inseparable, constant partners. Faith does something to our works, and works does something to our faith. Faith directs, stimulates, and cooperates our works. And works complete and bring to maturity and perfect our faith. Works are the necessary and inevitable outcome of saving faith. Works are the necessary and inevitable, which means they must happen. It will happen no matter what. Inevitable. Works are the necessary and inevitable outcome of saving faith. So how about you, Christian? Are you in the fight? Or are you just shadow boxing? Are you talking about how great a Christian you are, but your record is zero and zero? Never been in the ring and actually thrown a punch? 
So what should we fight? That's a good question. We can fight a lot of things. What is the fight? What is the good fight? What is the fight God's calling us to, to be warriors for him? James gives us a great practical example in verses 15 and 16. When he, when he says, hey, what if this guy doesn't have any clothes or any food? We should fight suffering. That's what we should fight. Fight suffering. Fight suffering in this world. Meet needs. That's what ministering means, to meet needs. And as a follower of Jesus, we are all ministers. The minister is not the person that stands here. The minister is anyone that has saving faith in God. And that person should minister to suffering needs in the world. Not for the sake of ministering for suffering needs, but for the sake of the opportunity to share the gospel. Hopefully with your mouth, definitely with your actions. Fight suffering. Fight suffering regardless of consequence so people hear the gospel. Fight suffering regardless of consequence so people hear the gospel. Warrior of God, that's what we are called to do. Fight suffering regardless of consequence so people will hear the gospel. The church is called to be a group of individuals that are doing that. Fighting suffering regardless of consequence so that people can hear the gospel. We are called to lay down our lives for Christ. The church is a group of people that are doing that individually, simultaneously, and together. We come together and we do that in Jesus' name, together, for His glory. Fight suffering regardless of consequence so that people can hear the gospel and so that our faith can continue to grow and mature and be perfected by God's sanctification. Not so that we can be checking off lists and boasting in what we're doing. That is not what good works are for. It is not so that we can be proud of ourselves. It is not so that we can say to ourselves or prove to ourselves that we are justified. We are not justified by our works. We are justified by our faith, but our faith must manifest in works. It must. If it doesn't, it is useless. It is dead. It is of no purpose. God did not justify you by faith so that you could stay here and do nothing until you die so you can go to heaven. He saved you by faith. He justified you by your faith so that he could sanctify you to make a dent in this world, to ease suffering, to do things contrary to what the world tells you to do. So that when you do that, people say, I think that person really believes what they say they believe. They really believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They really believe that Jesus came down as a man and suffered and died a death that he did not deserve, but willingly took upon so that we could be made right with God. He died on the cross, sacrificed for our sins. He laid in the tomb for three days, proving his death, and then he came back to life, resurrected to prove his victory over sin and death. I think those people actually believe that. Why else would they do what they're doing? But if all we do as a church is show up on Sundays and say, man, nice service, enjoyed the music, great message. If it's just something that entertains us, makes us feel good, if that's all church is, then we are sorely, sorely missing the point. It's okay for church to be enjoyable. It's okay for church to be entertaining at times. It just can't be the thing. 
It can't be the only thing we ever do as Christians. It's like the boxer that never fights. Show up to practice, to be pumped up. Show up to the pep rally to be fired up. But then never get in the game. Never go box. Never fight. That can't be what we do, church. It's okay for us to enjoy it. We should enjoy it. We should long to come together and worship God together. If we aren't longing for that, then we need to be on our knees asking God why that is, begging God to change our attitude and our spirit. We should long for that. But that in and of itself, coming together in a church service, that is not the end-all, be-all of Christianity. It's the pep rally. It's the practice. It's the huddle. God calls us to do it, to hear the word proclaimed publicly or preached, to sing to Him together, to pray to Him together. We're called to do those things, but we're called to do those things so that we can get out of here and go fight suffering, regardless of consequence, so that people can learn and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved forever. That's why we come here every week. And whether we have to keep meeting online for six months or we start meeting fully on together next week, if all we ever do is meet together, we are missing the point. We are missing the point. I long to see you. I long for this building to be, get, to be full of people. I yearn for it. I can't wait for it to happen again. But if that's all we do, we are wasting the opportunity that we have been given. We truly are. We can't have faith as an abstract. Something kind of floating around, this thing that we think about and, and we kind of talk about. It has to be concrete. The problem with that is kind of like the problem with the farmer. The preacher went to the, the farmer and he said, he said, if you had 100 pigs, would you give 50 of them to the Lord? Yes, sir, I would. He said, if you had 50 pigs, would you give 25 of those pigs to the Lord? He said, yes, sir, I would. He said, if you had 10 pigs, would you give five of those pigs to the Lord? He said, you bet I would, preacher. He said, if you had two pigs, he said, now, preacher, stop. Now, you know I only got two pigs. That's kind of how we are with faith. We're okay as long as it's abstract. But when it's time to put boots to the ground, rubber meat in the road, feet, and feet marching, following orders, we can't be that guy. We can't be that, yeah, yeah, I'd give, I'd give five of my pigs if I had ten, but I ain't, I'm not giving one if I've got two. That's a little too close to home, God. It's a little too close to home. Fight to end physical suffering, but not just to end physical suffering. Fight to end physical suffering, but fight to the death to end spiritual suffering. As horrible and hard as it is to see or experience physical suffering in this world, it is nothing compared to not knowing God. It is nothing compared to the judgment that is coming. Fight to the death to end spiritual suffering. Fight suffering the way that God has individually equipped, gifted, and prepared you to fight it. Fight suffering the way that God has individually equipped, gifted, and prepared you as an individual to fight. And let's come together as a church and do it together. So what does that mean? How, how can I fight? I, I'm old. I can barely see. I can barely walk. 
I say, you're the most valuable. You have extra time to be a prayer warrior. Ask God to move in the hearts of His warrior saints to mobilize us to fight so He is glorified in Jesus. All I can do is cook. I mean, I'm pretty good at cooking. I don't really do anything else. How can I fight? Great. Make some treats. Head over to your neighbor. Let them know how much you care about them. I'm just a college student. When I get out of college, then I'll talk to the students about that so much. You can then I'll your life away. When I get out of high school, then I'll. When I graduate college, then I'll. Well, when I get a better job, then I'll. We can't then I'll our life away. So I'm just a college student. I'm waiting until I graduate. Then I'll. Great. You're a college student. Think and pray and seek God about how he might take your education and use it to bring the gospel somewhere in the world where it doesn't currently exist. Think about that. Think and pray about how God can take that desire he's put inside of you for whatever it is you're getting educated for. And how can he take that and use that and use you to take the gospel to somewhere that it doesn't currently exist in the world? That may be a different neighborhood than you're currently in. Just a few neighborhoods over. That might be where the gospel doesn't currently exist. And God may be preparing you for that. Or it may be a different continent. Don't limit God. Bottom line, if you aren't in the fight with God, then you ain't a warrior for God. If you aren't in the fight for God, with God, then you ain't a warrior for God. I'll say it one more time. If you aren't in the fight with God, then you ain't a warrior for God. You're just like those philosophers back in the day in ancient Greece sitting around talking about what matters in the world and making zero difference. And that's not what God has called us to do. That is not what he has called us to do. That's why I'm happy to announce this today. I'm very happy to announce this today. We have uh, recently formed a partnership with, with River Valley Food for Kids in Russellville. We have recently formed a, a partnership with River Valley Food for Kids in Russellville. And we will feed 200 kids this summer for 10 weeks because no kid should go hungry. We already have donations to fund 160 kids. $2,400 more gets us 40 more kids into our goal of 200 kids. 200 kids, 10 weeks worth of groceries because no kid should go hungry. This will be a weekly dis distribution that happens this summer, and I invite you to join this fight with your money, with your time, with your prayers, with your effort, or some combination of those. The Acts 1-8 fund will be used to make this happen. So if you want to give to that specifically, you can. But remember that any time you give to our church, to Danville FBC, we are always looking for ways to fight suffering in this world so that people can hear the gospel. That's what we are going to do. We are going to fight with God. We are going to be warriors for God. We're going to do what God has called us to do. Faith works inseparable together to do something in this world that glorifies God, that makes a difference, that brings people to Jesus, that says they have to believe what they say they believe because of what they're doing. And I want to know what it is.
I want to know what it is. And what it is, is that Jesus is worth dying for. So he's definitely worth living for. Because he's the son of God. His blood was shed for our sins. So that we could be justified, stamped approved, made right with God now and forevermore. By his grace. And because of that grace and because of that faith, your inseparable attitude and desire for good works will be instilled in you through a lifelong process of sanctification. And you will be glad that you did, if you do. And if you already have, maybe we can just be reignited by what that means this morning. Go out and start fighting the fight that God's called us to. We love you very, very much, and we are looking forward to when things change, however long that may be, the information as it presents itself will get to you as fast and as quickly and uh, detailed as we can. But until then, hang in there, and let's make sure that this time together isn't the only thing that we call church, that as a church, we get out there and do something for God. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your patience with us. We are so stiff-necked, God. I pray that we would just daily submit to you and allow you to work through us, God. I thank you that your grace will work through us, God, and I pray that we would have a fresh desire to do that this morning, a fresh desire to go out and fight the good fight with you and for you. I thank you that we are able to do that in a way that matters because of Jesus. Otherwise, we're just ending some temporary pain. But because of Jesus, we can bring people to eternal, eternal joy in heaven with you, God. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Have a great day. We love you.